0: You're being real naughty. Why Maybe you need stop? someone to punish you for being naughty. Journalist? A bad journalist? not a bad journalist. You're a bad kitty. <laughs> Alright, we're going to address the elephant in the room. Let's. Live from New York and Saturday Night Live! It's
1: Saturday Night
2: Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 19 of Saturday Night Live with host Chris Pine and musical guest LCD Sound System. I'm John Murray and I'm joined this week by Steve Finn as well as Matthew Hawkins. Matt is a comedian and impressionist who listeners might know from New York's Comic Strip Live and Gotham Comedy Club. You can connect with Matt on Twitter at TheMinnickHawkins, and you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out, and they're greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Pine!
2: I wanted to say, Matt, after our last recording, Mm -hmm. uh, the Alec Baldwin episode that you sat in on, uh, I had carved out your little interview piece from the beginning, the one where you related your story about getting an audition at SNL. I put that out and I got to say the response was pretty amazing. We got more hits on that than some of our podcast episodes. That was something that people really connected with and, uh, it's nice to be able to live vicariously a little bit through people that actually (laughs) have gone out and and taken a run at, at SNL. So there's a lot of, uh, future players that, uh, really thought that that was a a cool story that you related. So kudos. Thank you very much. So the strike thing that didn't happen. No, (laughs) we're going to officially get the back three episodes that we were hopeful for. So that is, Good news. Very good news. It would have been a shame if the season had gone out on a whimper. So with that said, let's jump into a little bit of feedback. Agent Panda asks, I'm hoping you guys can touch on predictions for the remainder of the season. Now that it seems that we're definitely going to get the final episodes. I know a lot of us had high hopes for the Jimmy Fallon episode and it was decidedly mediocre. Do you two have any concerns that McCarthy and rocks episodes will lack similar panache? Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. First off, do we agree? Was the Jimmy Fallon episode mediocre?
0: You know, it, it's hard to say. It wasn't his best job on the show uh, that I could think of. I think that the Christmas episode that he hosted a couple of years ago was, I mean, he set the bar for me there. Yeah, it wasn't as well received in my opinion. Okay, so not the, not the high watermark for Jimmy. No, no, not at all.
2: Fair enough. What about you, Steve? Like we obviously talked about it for a full cast, but what was your final takeaway now that you've had a couple weeks of distance from the episode? Do you feel like it was lackluster the way that agent Panda is, is asserting, or do you feel like it deserves more credit? Uh,
1: I think agent Panda pretty much has it on the nose there. It wasn't the best outing that Jimmy Fallon's had on the show. I don't think it's his fault necessarily. I don't think it's anything to do with, you know, Jimmy showing up and messing up the show or anything like that. You know, you can't win them all basically. Sure.
2: I think our takeaway was that it was a pretty typical episode. Um, They were shooting high, like they wanted it to be a lot of spectacle and have really high energy. I don't know if they got quite as far as they wanted to with it as a celebration, but I thought as an episode overall, it was still very satisfying to watch. So I wasn't so down on it, but let's bring this full circle here. We've got Melissa McCarthy and The Rock to round out the season. Have we got high hopes for them or or is what we've seen from the Jimmy Fallon episode kind of make us wonder if they're running out of steam and maybe all the, the best ideas and highest moments of the season have already been claimed. And we're just going to kind of have a few more bland episodes to, to go out on what, what's our, our prediction.
0: They have big shoes to fill. I mean, The Rock is one of my favorite wrestlers, one of my favorite entertainers of all time. So I expect nothing but the best from him. As for Melissa, I mean, she's done her, her guest spots and she's done her cameos throughout the season. And she's hit a lot of home runs. She's hit some doubles. So uh, I've got high hopes for both of them.
2: Okay. How about you, Steve?
1: Yeah, maybe they were sitting on some, some of their best material because they had these hosts to look forward to. You know, maybe, uh, some of the writers, some of the staff have been anticipating this and, and are saving their best for these last couple of episodes. So we might see some real dynamite come out.
2: Yeah. Here's hoping. My impression is that as a general rule, they don't intentionally try and hold back good material for tentpole episodes. There's a, enough competition at the show that when someone has a good idea, they bring it to the table as soon as they can. However, there's situations where they know that it's not a good fit for a certain host. You need someone with a certain physicality or a certain musical quality, or there's just sometimes you just know that the sketch won't work on a certain week. So maybe those they hold in their back pocket, but I don't think the show is, is intentionally trying to like slow down and build up a reserve of good stuff. I think they're always trying to put out the best episode, but when you have a host like the rock or like Melissa McCarthy because they're versatile and because they're well-rounded players and they've come to the show so many times that they know kind of how to really bring their best to the show and the show knows how to bring the best out of them a lot of times some of the more daring sketches or the sketches that just wouldn't have been a good fit on another show those tend to resurface so there is the potential that these shows could be better than they would have been with a lesser host i just don't think that the show is intentionally (laughs) trying to um Uh, I don't know, sift their writing around so that it, it favors these episodes, but we can speculate all day, but until we see the episodes, we really don't know what they have in store. All I know is that generally speaking, season 42 has been pretty strong by comparison to past seasons. And because they've had a good infusion of new writers with the show, it seems like there's some fresh personalities that really haven't, been sort of drained dry of all their creative juices. So it seems like the writer's room is really flourishing right now. And that always makes me optimistic. You take a good host, you take a show that's firing on all cylinders, you mash them together. Hopefully you're going to come out with something that's fun. We have a little more feedback before we get into the recap. Colt Smetsvin has checked in and he asks, are the Patreon benefits, i.e. early rough cut, starting this week? So in our last podcast, I had announced that for those fans that really value hearing the podcast right after SNL airs, I'm going to start putting out a rough cut version Sunday night. So if they want early access, they can get early access for everyone else who wants the really polished up, pristine, well edited and mixed version of the show that comes later in the week. So to answer Colt's question, Yes. We actually started that a few weeks ago. There's rough cuts for the last few episodes on our Patreon page, but the recording that we're doing right now will be up tonight, that Sunday night, uh before I go to bed. It'll be up, so expect that for anyone who's interested. With that said, let's jump into the show. Do it. All right. Yeah. So for our cold open, we get The Morning Joe. Uh Joe and Mika's sexual tension is palpable <laughs> as they discuss the American Healthcare Act. We'll start with you, Matt what's your your hot take on the cold open did this work for you
0: yeah it it did um but right away i'm not sure who these people are if if it's a parody of two people they're actually on cnbc i'm assuming it is but i got the joke i mean i get it they they flirt they get so close and then everybody else in the room is awkwardly looking at them going okay what's going on here so uh no i thought it was funny i thought it was good um pretty good, solid open. It wasn't too long. It was something different. And uh, I liked how Trump made a, a call in, which was funny. Yeah. Nice
2: to not overuse Alec Baldwin at this point in the season, because we have seen a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, what's your what's your
1: thought? I'm kind of in the same boat as Matt, where I haven't really watched Morning Joe at all. It's not really on my radar. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that they were on point with the rapport that Joe and Mika have, but <laughs> you know, I have to take their word for it. Cause I've never actually seen uh, <laughs> this so-called sexual tension at play. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, it was a great sketch for, for what I could get out of it being out of my element.
2: My final takeaway is just, you know, serviceable, not a win, not a loss. All right. Moving on to the monologue. Chris Pine is not that Chris. <laughs> and uh, he breaks out into song to help explain that. He is, in fact, different from all the other leading man Chris's in Hollywood. What do we think?
0: It being his first time on SNL hosting, I didn't really know what we we're going to get. Um, he's usually a serious actor, and he's on, I think, Horrible Bosses too, which he has some uh, comic chops, which is pretty good. So I was just kind of looking to see what he was going to do. And I don't know. I thought it was good. Him singing was... Uh, he hit a note or two there. He missed a few. So it was, uh it was funny for what it was. It was a little off key, but I think, you know, not taking himself too seriously and making fun of the fact there are so many Chris's that are all superheroes. It's, uh it's funny. I, I thought it was good.
2: Yeah. Okay. Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, I was surprised
1: because I didn't know Chris Pine could sing. Maybe he did miss a note or two, as Matt said, but you can tell that the guy actually knows how to sing and ha- has had some training. Right. Actually, uh, You know, I think he sang in more sketches than he didn't sing. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So
1: that was all over this episode. They really utilized that hidden talent of his, which is, you know, which I'm not complaining about. It's just a surprise to, to see it come out of, you know, Mr. Action Movie Star, Chris Pine.
2: Right. I felt like it was serviceable. It was fun. He didn't come out seeming too awkward or not in control of the stage. He had, you know, good poise and he had a, an enthusiasm and a confidence about him. So he ticked all the right boxes as far as his job. Um, just songs are tricky. You know, if, if the song itself isn't really smart and a really good vehicle for jokes, then it gets old quick. And I felt like this one kind of got old quick. All right, let's talk about our first sketch of the night, which is where in the world is Kelly Conway? we should all be the exact right age to really appreciate what they accomplish with this sketch. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anybody who, you know, falls within our age group is definitely familiar with where in the world is carbon San Diego, the <laughs> game show for kids. Yeah. Aside from just referencing it, they really nailed the whole feel of that show, uh, right down to the character of the, uh, of the chief. Right. And Sashir really Sean in this sketch. She was, um, the main knot that tied this all together. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic spot on impression of the chief. And it's been years and years and years since I've heard that voice, but you know, yeah. her impression was so spot on that, you know, it just came back to me. Yeah. Even though I haven't heard it in a while that that's exactly what I remember from my childhood. So good on her. They got the, the Rockapella <laughs> guys, uh, they they got all that right. Yep. So I loved it for what it was okay. and yeah, it was absolutely brilliant for sure.
2: Yeah. It, this was pure indulgence for me. Like seeing the set, seeing the costume, seeing everything being so spot on, it, they really recreated that show in all its glory. And so I was, I was just lapping up the, the nostalgia of it. So that was satisfying right out of the gate. And then to have a fun, punchy little quick in and out joke that was really fitting Showing that kids, <laughs> kids understand intuitively that they don't want to be anywhere near Kellyanne Conway. And, uh, I, I think it was a really fun and, and smart and kind of like pop culture uh, throwback way of, of making that point. And so I thought it really worked. It was fun for me. What about you, Matt? What, what was your takeaway?
0: It brought me back to my couch in grade four yeah. as if I was watching the actual <laughs> show. Yep. With uh, some Dunkaroos. Uh, yeah, it was uh, very nostalgic. You could tell that they were having fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Just from the guy singing cappella. I was like, oh my God. Like this is like everything that was uh, presented visually and the casting of it was perfect. It was like watching the old show again. Yep. Couldn't be happier with that. And I'm glad it was quick and out. Good start to the show.
2: Yeah, it definitely passes the squint test. Like looking at Sashir as um, Lynn Thigpen. Yeah. It's, it's uncanny. Like you couldn't tell, like if they ever casted a Carmen San Diego movie, they'd be stupid to not get Sashir. She's yeah. perfect for that. The other little beat that I thought was really great was Bobby as one of the Rockapella guys, mm-hmm. the real guy from Rockapella or one of the real guys who had the microphone. He would always do like a little wrist flick with it <laughs> in time with the the beat. Mm. And that was kind of like his signature uh, lame dance move, you know, how they're all kind of like jiving as they're, as they're doing their acapella stuff. That was his move on the real show. And Bobby did that. And I have to assume that it's intentional because that's way too specific a gesture yeah. for him just to intuit that. So, uh, good, good on him for doing his homework and really finding the character. Cause yeah, that was, that was rockapella.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So just all of those little fun, little nostalgic nuggets that you can bite into. It didn't even really have to have much of a joke. It was just enthralling to see. <laughs> see it laid out there so yeah for for our generation this uh this was a win i'm sure well now i'm curious
1: uh i want to know matt how do you do your dunkaroos
0: <laughs> oh man i would just eat the cookies up to the the i had two left and then the the last two i would just like get all the icing on it and just crush it <laughs> and of course if there's anything anything left over the finger goes in and that's it it's done i uh that's how i did my dunkaroos and, and I, another method was make them a little sandwich. It'll really kind of like make it like an Oreo, put the two cookies together and put the icing in the middle. I'd have to get a knife. I know it's an extra thing, but <laughs> it's what I brought to the table. <laughs> awesome. All right, moving on. <laughs> hey, moving on from that. Come on, this is important. This is important stuff.
2: He needs to know this stuff. This is important. Slavic Jam Records presents Song for Peace by Stav D. What do we think of our first pre-tape?
0: I don't know, man. Uh, Whenever there's like a rap or there's a digital short or there's something where it's supposed to be cool and funny, I just, it brings me right back to the Lonely Island group and just how those guys, they were so good at what they did and they actually sounded good and actually flowed and it was really funny and it made it look cool and you wanted to see more. I didn't get any of that from this. I got, okay, they're in a cemetery. Yeah, okay. He's Slavic. Okay, yeah. Um, I get it. It's on like porn. That's the whole thing. All right, but as 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 much as it, like that's great. But at the same time, I wanted it to like have a good beat, and I wanted it to be funny. The bar is is set so high for doing that. It's it's hard to even years after you know Andy and the boys leaving to even try to do anything like that. So I don't know. It didn't really uh, hit the mark on me to be honest.
2: Okay, so the little gag in the middle where he starts getting into his porn addiction and, and really ra- a rallying cry against porn. You didn't feel like that was enough to hang a whole music video on.
0: Not really. No.
2: Okay. Uh, how about you, Steve? What'd you think?
1: I was laughing at the intended joke of it, which was, you know, wasn't subtle. It was a pretty obvious, uh, punchline towards the end of it. But I feel like I'm, I'm, there's a reference to this that I'm not getting. Oh, there is. Cause I had the feeling that it was trying to capture some kind of, Uh, style, some kind of, maybe even a specific song.
2: Yep. Let me jump in because uh, one of our friends on Reddit was able to fill me in because I didn't have a good beat on it either. But Lila2398 was able to turn me on to what this was actually a parody of. Back in 2003, uh, there is a Eastern European rap guy named Speak, and he did a song called Stop the War. Mm. And this is, it's not exactly shot for shot, but it is an intentional callback to that video, which was a quasi sort of um, like ironic uh, viral video. Like people cringe watched it because it was so just bad <laughs> at being like a rallying or an anthem to, to help, you know, unify the anti-war movement. It was so ineffectual and so just cheesy and bad and low budget that it almost became so bad. It's good kind of a thing. So that's what the guys picked up on. That's what Beck and Kyle were we're working with here. I figured. Yeah, we'll include a link in the show notes, but if you watch that video and then go back and watch this, you're going to get a lot more out of it because you're going to at least understand what the throwback was. Now, a 15-year-old video, I don't know if that's really the the most, you know, topical and timely parody that they should have been working with, but nonetheless, that's what the premise was.
0: Can I cut cut in for a second? Yeah. As, as a as a working comedian, it's never good when you have to explain a joke. Sure. I'm just throwing that out there.
2: Yeah, 15 years. It's a it's too far out of the public consciousness that I'm sure most people are in the same boat as we all were, where yeah. we just sure there's a joke there on its surface, right? What he's singing about, there's some humor there. Yeah. But if you don't tie into the reference, then it loses a lot of its sparkle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My only other thought is much like the monologue. Songs are tricky because if lyrically you can't build a lot of jokes into them and really kind of get people on your side, it's easy for it to get boring quickly. And this one was, it was a very slow tempoed song and lyrically very sparse. So there was just a lot of challenges to staying with them.
1: Yeah. And here we have a grab sample of three dudes here <laughs> on this podcast. We're we're all on the nerdy side and none of us have heard of this before, this song. No. so. I think that's yeah enough evidence to say that this might be a little too obscure to reference.
2: Right. Yeah, they were, they were digging kind of deep, and uh, because it wasn't obvious, I think that's probably what crippled this. So amusing, but not a win. Yeah,
0: not a win. Steve, how do you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dork? <laughs> I'm just going to throw that. I am, but <laughs> we just met. Come on. Hey, man, I, I've,
1: I've heard your podcast when you replaced me okay. for a week. <laughs> for a week. Thanks for that,
0: by the way. Oh, it's anger. That's where it's stemming from. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. I am a nerd 100%. Wrestling and comic book and everything else. So you hit the mark there.
2: I'm intentionally trying to craft some reality TV level drama. Some tension. By <laughs> pitting you two against each other. Uh, let's talk a little bit about SWAT recon. The sketch, you've got law enforcement peering in on a perp and next door, there is a party going on with two enthusiastic young scamps, Mm uh, which is charming to everybody. Everybody wants to get in on it because apparently the wonder of youth is not lost on these, these guys.
0: I laugh my uh, my tail off on this one. <laughs> I'm more leaning on the side of fun, silly comedy and opposed to just political. And they hit the mark with the fun, silly. I love the whole premise of like, at what age did we stop doing <laughs> silly things that we used to do when we were kids? And it goes back to the nostalgia stuff. I liked it all the way around. I just thought it built well. And uh, it totally threw me off from the beginning of the sketch to the end. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Steve? What's What's your thought?
2: It's a
1: recognizable equation uh, when it comes to the SNL writing formula. We've seen this kind of approach before where to me, it seems like one of the writers or a couple of writers uh, just think of something really, really weird and just imagine what a normal person would say in reaction to seeing it. Mm -hmm. You know, similar to David S. Pumpkins.
2: Let me just cut in very quickly because- This was written by Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel, who did David S. Pumpkin. So I think you are tapping into kind of one of their go-to sketch formats. So keep building on that. But I think you're, I think you're onto something here.
1: Yeah. If that's the connection, then it does make sense. seems like Mikey and Streeter like to come up with just weird (laughs) stuff that any normal straight character would (laughs) probably have, you know, a couple opinions about. And, you know, from that, you organically can basically flesh out a sketch, right? You know, I don't want to call it cheap, but it's, it's simple. <laughs> Maybe that's the word. And, uh, even then, you know, I'm not saying that it's, it's not potential for a lot of laughs because it definitely is. I was laughing yeah. at this sketch.
2: Yeah, no, it was fun. I particularly loved how specific uh, the commentary was as they're explaining what they're seeing through the windows. They're even talking about, well, the the guys are doing it a little ironically or, you know, they know (laughs) that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a a tongue in cheek fashion show. Yes.
0: Oh, yes.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So let's look at our next live sketch. We get the boy is mine, which is a, a play on the Brandy and Monica song. In this case, you've got two like, corporate executive women forcing Chris Pine to decide between them. What'd you guys think of this? Was this smart? Was this fun or where, where was the joke here?
1: This is yet another throwback. Uh, we're, we're getting a whole bunch of (laughs) nostalgia in this episode. Yeah. Anybody our age would remember that Brandy and Monica song. I was surprised that I actually recognized that intro, uh, synth, <laughs> uh, that harp sound like that's, I, I guess it's, you know, a grain into my brain. There's always this kind of sketch when some handsome A-list movie star, uh, whenever they host, there's always a sketch of the women, uh, pining for them. Right. No pun intended. <laughs> I, th- I thought this was a win. It, it really, uh, capitalized on the sensibilities of Vanessa and 80 you know, the hypersexualized and awkward and (laughs) for as simple as it was, like it just tapped into so many things that worked that I got to give this sketch, you know, high praise, maybe more than it deserves. But for me, it was quite enjoyable. Okay.
2: How about you, Matt?
0: I think Steve said it all. I totally agree with what he says. It's a nostalgia song, actually two songs. I guess Chris at the end of it started singing his (laughs) song. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was funny. I thought it was silly and it did the job. Sure. The job made me laugh.
2: (laughs) Vanessa and 80 would both be the right age as well as many of the writers at the show for this song to come to mind. If you were going to do some sort of a like competition between women over a man or whatever, when they were younger, this would have been the, the, the song that would have defined how you handle a relationship when you're in competition with another woman. So this is what kind of like bubbles up and motivates them. And they get to live a little vicariously by acting out this music video that they probably watched a thousand times when they were teenagers. So mm-hmm. I can kind of see how there's a, there's some logic to this world, um, how we get to this point other than that, obviously it's utterly ridiculous that they're like draped over the table and they're, you know, there's, there's no HR department that would ever let something like this fly in a corporate environment, but that's half the joke. It's kind of like the, um, the, the Santa baby song, right. They're having the corporate meeting and all of the, the janitors come in to do their super sexual Christmas song. Uh, it's, it's kind of in that vein of things that you would never see in a workplace. And so I I like that. I think that's a fun little, fun little mashup that, uh, especially when they have something that's kind of nostalgic and pop culture, like a, an old nineties R&B song that, that that's a lot of fun. So I, I enjoyed it moving on. We get another pre-tape this time, the house Seattle season 6,000, basically drama ensues when Adam forgets about Margarita night. And you get all of those typical reality TV tropes with the overly dramatic music and the obvious editing for dramatic pause. And then the aside interviews, you get all of that kind of stuff, uh, mashed up into this. Uh, did we think this was smart? Was this, was this a fun outing? What'd you think, Matt?
0: I loved it. They hit a home run on this. And I I'm even going to go out and say, I'd like to actually see them do this, like more this, this same type of sketch with these same characters. I loved it. I thought Kyle Mooney, I think his acting is just, he plays such a believable character that (laughs) I laughed a lot during this whole thing. I thought it was a great concept and they captured a reality show. That's always funny to me.
2: Okay. How about you, Steve? What'd you think? Well, I was pleased to see
1: something like this because this one was reminiscent of the good neighbor style. So it was nice to see that kind of reincorporated to the show. Yep. When it comes to the sketch itself, I probably wouldn't know how accurate it actually was if I didn't date a couple of girls who are heavily (laughs) into reality television, Big Brother or what have you. Mm -hmm. But I have watched these kinds of shows over a couple of people's shoulders, and yeah, they definitely nailed the uh, vernacular, they nailed the visuals, and it's not even that far off because a lot of this drama comes from (laughs) stuff this benign all the time. (laughs) Like it's almost not even a parody. It's just like, it's something you would actually see if you tuned into one of these shows. So.
2: Yeah. I think that is the genius of it. They really didn't have to push it. They just had to do what you see in a true reality show. And when you know that it's satire, it becomes so obvious how ridiculous reality TV shows are just, in general, uh, there's nothing, you know, truly, uh, realistic about reality TV. And this just punctuates that so perfectly. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Now LCD sound system performs call the police and American dream. Now, Steve, you are a resident music expert. What'd you think?
1: Hey, I love LCD sound system. Was I expecting them to have a place on SNL this season? Yeah, no, I wasn't. Okay, <laughs> but I was very happy to see them. Mm-hmm. They're a more obscure underground band, but um, you know they're a fantastic amalgam of electronic and rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just have a, a really great energy. Okay, and this is exactly what you want to see on live television. So I'm I'm really happy about it.
2: Okay, so it won you over, or you already won over. You just you're a fan, plain and simple.
1: Yeah, I was a fan going into it, so they just basically maintained. The status they have in my eyes. Okay,
2: excellent. How about you, Matt? what do you think?
0: Uh, I actually watched the musical act this time, so that's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> I gotta be 100% honest. It kind of looked like a sketch to me. I look at visuals. Being a comedian, <laughs> I have to make fun of things. And the lady in the front with the keyboard, with the pink pants, with the Trump t-shirt, the dude in the background... Awkwardly dancing and with the African hat thing going on, and the dude's hair that looked like it got into the suck cut from the Wayne's World movies. Like, if I shut my eyes, I would say it was a decent song. Uh, visually, I laughed. I don't know. That's just me. I I I look at things. Things make me laugh. It was like the best way to describe it is like if I went to a secondhand clothing store and I saw a group of people and said, "Hey, let's make a band." They would look like that. That's the best analogy that I could give. I don't know. They're on Saturday Night Live. You you could slick your hair back. You could have done a lot of things. If that's what they do and that's who they are, good for them. But the music was, was good, I would say.
2: Well, that is awesome. I'm glad that we have a different take <laughs> on the musical act because all too often, I think Steve and I are usually in lockstep on a lot of this stuff. I think now I'm kind of feeling my age because these guys looked exactly the way bands looked when I was a kid for an era. Back when alternative rock was kind of like, pre-grunge alternative rock, kind of like the, the last heyday of new wave, kind of like fusing into alternative rock. These guys would have been right at home in that era. And so when I'm watching it, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, the, the visuals fit the music that I'm hearing perfectly. Like this is exactly the way I would expect these guys to look. I I thought even though there was a lot that you could giggle at, like the, like the dude in the back who he didn't have a lot to do on the one song. So he steps away from his keyboard and he's just kind of like nerd bopping out. There was, uh, there was some stuff you could smirk at if you wanted to, but just because this felt familiar and it was a type of genre that I really enjoyed. I wasn't trying to poke fun at any of it. I was just taking it in and really enjoying it just as uh, for the music that it was. So I, I thought it was really good, but I can totally get why someone might be put off with how weird <laughs> the, the setup and, and the performance was. There's a, there was a lot of campiness to it.
0: Don't get me wrong. I It made me actually like them more because they were different. They weren't sure. taking it too seriously. And, you know, I know I made a crack about going to a secondhand clothing store. I go to secondhand <laughs> clothing stores. I could relate, if anything. So I liked them.
2: No, I think they were just owning who they are. Like they, they're comfortable with their sound and, and, and what they're bringing to the stage. And it's kind of a take it or leave it thing. I don't think that they're trying to pander or be anything that they're not. These are just dudes that like that type of music and kind of the, the scene and the style that goes along with it. And, uh, I think they, they owned it.
1: Oh, for sure. Just, just keep an eye on them, man, uh, James Murphy. He's nearly 50 years old. <laughs> you know, I first heard of him when I watched the movie, the comedy starring Tim Heidecker, you know, he had a big role in that and I just figured he was some actor. Okay. And then uh, I read a review where it said he, he was the lead singer and, and basically the frontman of LCD sound system. I should say you should check out the comedy. It's an awesome movie. Okay. But yeah, uh, this guy is a super powerful creative force and he's, he's never going to stop. He's uh, he's amazing.
2: Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Weekend update. Jost and Che come out with their opening salvo this time, directed at the American Healthcare Act. Uh, anything from their first run of jokes before we get into the features that uh, kind of caught your attention? Any highlights?
0: It was pretty cut and dry. Um, you know, Trump heavy, obviously, as is expected. Um, I thought it was okay. Yeah, that was good.
2: All right,
1: it's got to be touched upon what's going on with the healthcare and uh, you know what could potentially happen to millions of people. And, and their coverage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm glad we have weekend update set aside on SNL for this because it's, uh, it's, uh, going to affect a lot of people. And, uh, you know, if this is the best way we can, you know, have a voice heard, then so be it. <laughs> I guess it's the best we can do while Trump is in power. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. I thought the Jost highlighting Trump's accomplishments during his first hundred days. I thought that little bit was fun. Um uh, they did that once before where they throw up a graphic that's meant to be like a really long list of things, but it, it goes by so quick yeah. that it then cuts back to Joe's and he's like sipping tea and he's not ready to be back on air or whatever.
1: I'm a fan of that gag as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. First feature of the night, Don Lazarus weekend update meteorologist. So Vanessa Bayer comes out as a nervous meteorologist who apparently gets very mushmouthy when she's put on the spot, Matt, what's your hot take?
0: I love it. And I think she did uh, amazing. I thought it was hilarious. I thought the character was funny as she got nervous and she didn't. She, she sounded exactly how a meteorologist sounds like when you hear any news station. She nailed that.
2: Yeah. It was the kind of thing where if you weren't really watching TV closely and it was just like on in the background while you're getting ready for the day or something, you wouldn't know that that wasn't legitimately a meteorologist just talking because all the sounds were there. It's just like, you're listening to it almost like you're a dog or something where you can't actually understand human speech, but you can hear all of the, uh, emotion that's, that's behind it. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, it was kind of neat that you're, yeah, that it feels very true, even though there's like no information being conveyed. What'd you think, Steve?
1: I have a feeling that they had inspiration from the uh, Heve Bertation incident.
2: You're going to have to fill me in. I'm I'm drawing a blank here.
1: Basically, uh, a correspondent on maybe was NBC News. They cut to a woman who was basically having a mini stroke at the time.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. wow. Yeah. So there's a bit of a dark edge to this. Wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting because she could not form any words at all, but she could... She could retain the you know, the uh Essence the vernacular. The essence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you could tell she had the reporter tone going on. Sure. But she couldn't say anything. She was like, you know, it's been a very heavy, heavy brutation tonight. We we've had a, a dare dareson So she, she's going on and on. And this actually happened on live on camera.
2: Oh no. Okay. And they interviewed her afterwards. Wow. I gotta look that up. Okay, so that that actually puts a whole different spin on it. If that's what they were goofing on, because yeah, you can almost see that like everything's all jumbled up in her head. But because she's trained to deliver in a certain way, you know, it sounds right, but it falls out wrong. Yeah. Okay, so that's a a fresh perspective on Don Lazarus. Leslie Jones shows up, and Leslie has finally met someone in
0: Jamaica. For me, I'm a Leslie Jones fan, but I think she she wasn't on for for whatever reason. I can just tell that. Early on, if you watch it again, i'd like I watched it twice, and uh, I think she wanted to hit certain marks that that weren't there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was her best,
2: okay, that's fair now, Steve, last time, Leslie did a like tried and true stand up feature at the desk, you said from here on out, I'm an unabashed Leslie fan. There's nothing she can do to ever get a bad review for me at the desk again, Something to that effect.
1: I don't think I said that. <laughs> was i happy to see leslie jones no not initially okay i kind of rolled my eyes i was like oh another one and you know what i take it back and i take it back forever because (laughs) leslie jones is just an amazingly talented woman so i'm i don't think ever again i'm gonna roll my eyes because she's able to spit fire every time she comes out and it's it's always great
2: okay I don't remember what you said, but you, you were very warm on Leslie and you, it was something to the effect of she can do no wrong. As far as I'm concerned, like you were thoroughly won over by her. Do you feel like this, um, lived up to that standard that you were so warm on last time? She,
1: uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was a little more warm on it than Matt was. I didn't outright hate it. I felt like it worked as a piece. It was a bit awkward at times. I don't think she broke at the right times. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. because it it was throwing off the rhythm Mm -hmm. and that uh, might have been taking down the quality of, you know, what was actually quality material.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: So yeah, I wouldn't say it's the best outing.
2: Yep. I didn't think it was great. And I thought there was one like really big moment in the middle that she just missed for some reason. There was a joke about, you know, I'm a little tiny person at a little tiny table, writing a little tiny letter or something to that effect. And the, the punchline was because it's a secret and I just, that went right over my head. I just, either she didn't deliver it right or it was too obscure reference for me to get. There was something about that, that uh, I was left puzzled by. And because of that, it kind of pulled me out of the moment. And I felt like maybe she didn't quite get her, her rhythm back after that.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was such a long setup for a punchline that I didn't get it at all. Yeah. I was, right. I was with you on that.
2: Yeah. So there was a, a lot of that kind of stuff where, uh, I think what she was building to, there was a couple moments that just fell flat and didn't really kind of have the energy or the reaction that she was looking for. And so, yeah, I don't think this was the, the strongest one from Leslie moving on back half of the show, we get another live sketch auto shop, which has all the, uh, dude mechanics, slowly revealing to each other that they are all super diehard fans of RuPaul's Drag Race.
0: I liked it. I liked the the premise of just like, you know, mechanics or whatever they were. These, you know, <laughs> manly men on break and uh, what they talk about. I can relate to that. I'm not saying RuPaul, but something like that comes up. Everybody kind of does say, oh, I didn't see that. But then they know things about it. So <laughs> I like that. I like that aspect. And I like where it, it went. It actually felt, at the end, I don't know if you guys could see it, but it was almost like uh Chris Farley and uh yeah. Patrick Swayze with the the Chippendale sketch mm-hmm. where they're just both fighting for everybody's approval <laughs> and they're yeah. both giving it and uh I I couldn't help but feel again a throwback to them. So, I liked it. I thought it was good. Yep.
1: How about you, Steve? What did you think? If if anyone were to ask you, you know, what are some typical interests of a manly man? <laughs> they're going to say cars, sports, Stuff like that. They're not going to say RuPaul, obviously. Right. But, you know, it's a great setting to uh, establish this concept, you know, have a bunch of mechanics sitting around on break, talking about what they saw while their girlfriend was watching TV. And (laughs) I love how they, you know, they're playing it off like, Oh yeah, I don't know much about it, but uh, here's all the details (laughs) of what we're talking about. Uh, (laughs) You know, I've done that myself. Like, you know, we were talking about that reality stuff earlier. You know, that's why I'm, familiar with big brother in general is because I used to watch over my girlfriend's shoulder. But, uh, whenever anyone would start talking about that show and mixed company, I had a couple of things to sure You can hold throw your into one. the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I could hold my own in that conversation, even though like I wasn't a quote unquote fan, even though I sounded like one. Cause I had more knowledge <laughs> than I should have. And yeah, maybe I'll admit that I kind of enjoy it when I watch it. So (laughs) that's something I don't let on right away, but (laughs) you get me talking about it and, uh, that might come out. So this is actually really relatable.
2: Yeah. I thought that that little goof, that truth was really fun to watch. And like you mentioned, Matt, when they took it into the lip sync battle crescendo there at the end, Mm -hmm. uh, that was my, my thought too. That's Mm -hmm. what Bobby's doing there. You know, like, facing away from the camera, doing the dance moves, you know, he's a heavier guy. So there's definitely shades of Farley there, like Mm -hmm. a lot of physicality for a bigger person and to own it and be like hundred percent committed Mm -hmm. to really like pulling off that dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the affects that Bobby had, I thought were really great. Like he really became that character. As soon as the lip sync battle started, he kind of put on the persona of Mm -hmm. I don't know what the right terminology is for, I guess, just a drag queen, right? Is that what we say these days? Or is there something more appropriate? But he kind of, he just, he transformed right there on stage. And I thought that was really impressive to see from Bobby. Yeah. So a lot, a lot to like, I I really thought this was fun. How about the handmaid's tale? We got another pre-tape. This one is a goof on that new show. That's on Hulu. Yeah. I think it's on Hulu.
1: Hulu is right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I haven't seen the show, so I don't have a really good beat on this. Matt, did you have any, you know, deep thoughts on, on whether this worked or not?
0: I usually score them like one to five, uh, five being good. I gave us a one because I didn't get the reference. I didn't understand what they were trying to do. And I I didn't laugh. Okay.
2: How about you, Steve? Uh, were you able to pull anything from this of value or did this kind of go over your head too?
1: You know, I can kind of get what the point they're making is, is that, you know, men in their privileged status really can't appreciate what women go through as a struggle. I'm guessing that The handsmaid Tale is a story of women being ultra-oppressed, so they use that as an advantage to uh, outline how men really don't know what's going on sure. with women's struggles. And they kind of, they try to simplify it and, and offer solutions. Oh, why don't you
2: just not be that way or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You come to the party this weekend as the guys rounding them up for torture. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's like, I got to torture you, but afterwards you just totally go to the party. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. There was an obliviousness on the part of the guys. And I think that probably was the message of the sketch. I haven't seen the handmaid's tale either. So I really, like I said, I don't have a good bead on it, but it seems like if there is a takeaway that you could maybe latch onto without having seen the handmaid's tale, it would be, Kind of like what you were alluding to, Steve, that at a certain point, some sort of oppression can become so institutionalized that people can be perfectly well-intentioned and not see the oppression around them. Yeah. It's just, that's part of everyday life. This is just the situation. This is what I was born into. This is, this is society. This is the world I know. And they don't question it or challenge it. And they just go along to get along. They just go with the flow and it never occurs to them that there's maybe some atrocity or some oppression going on that they should be able to see quite clearly just because you have those natural blinders if you are brought up in it. So I thought maybe there was something, you know, really smart about this, but because I haven't seen the show, I wasn't sure if that's really what they were going for. If maybe that's even just an aspect of the show. And that wasn't really the true goof of it. Yeah. Didn't have a good beat. I think there's something there, but until I've actually seen the show or read the the book that it's based on, there's just really nothing, <laughs> nothing I can offer. So let's not dwell on it. Let's move on to TV land future classics in an unaired episode of star Trek. A spicy new character is added to spruce up the beleaguered series. We get Bobby Moynihan as Spocko and his signature catchphrase. Did we like this? Was this fun?
0: I liked it. I mean, with, with having Chris Pine on, you kind of, <laughs> I, I was hoping to see something Star Trek. Yep. Uh, the guy was playing Sulu, I think he's one of the techs of SNL and he's been on since the beginning of the show. And he played yeah. Sulu in the original with, um, with, uh, Belushi. So it's kind of cool to see him back as, as Sulu. So I, I like that Bobby. I love him. I, I love when he can play like an outrageous character. That's what he played. <laughs> When I see him, uh, I just laugh. So mm-hmm. it was good. Okay.
2: Steve, what do you think?
0: Well, I was surprised. It
1: kind of messes up with your mind because Chris Pine plays Captain Kirk, but in this sketch, <laughs> he's playing William Shatner right. playing Captain mm-hmm. Kirk. Right. So it's <laughs> like one, uh, one removal from that. And I was actually surprised at how well he <laughs> can do the Captain Kirk, like impression. Yeah. Speech pattern. Yeah. It was good. It was right on point. So I was impressed by that. I did want to mention Akira Yoshimura. That's his name. Yeah, that's his name. The guy who played Sulu.
2: Yeah, but he, he doesn't go by Akira. He goes by Leo.
1: Leo? Yeah. Okay. I just had to look him up on IMDb, and that's what they call him, Akira. Yep. Anyway, he's been with the show, like you said, for a long time. He actually showed up on camera on the very first episode with George Carlin. Oh, did he? As an extra. Yes. So he has been seen on SNL since it began. Okay. Yeah. It was kind of cool to see that connection.
2: Yeah. He's kind of um, a living llama Lincoln showgirls (laughs) kind of situation at the show now.
1: Yeah. You know, we were talking about how Jimmy Fallon's episode might be the last Mm -hmm. episode because of the strike. Right. And we were talking about how Bobby wasn't used as much where we get sketches like this, where Bobby is uh, utilized Mm -hmm. as much as he deserves. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like he's getting the send off that he should have. Yeah. Agreed. If he in fact is leaving.
2: Yeah. I noticed that too. This does seem to be a very Bobby heavy episode and they gave him some really meaty stuff that just makes you appreciate Bobby all the more and makes you sad that (laughs) we're not going to get to see a lot more of this kind of stuff from him. The sketch overall, I thought was a lot of fun. There is a, um, a longstanding TV trope of when a show jumps the shark and gets a little too long in the tooth and it's stale and it's going to be canceled. Sometimes the producers are, they try and take one more run at it and they try and jazz it up by bringing in some like spunky new character to liven things (laughs) up. You'll see a lot of that in sitcoms in their last couple seasons. You'll find that they start toying around with the format and bringing in, you know, my, my cousin from overseas, you know, something, something wacky to try and draw people back in. This feels like that's exactly what they were goofing on here. So I thought that was clever. It was a nice setup. Bobby did great work as he always does. And, uh, the Neil deGrasse Tyson impression that Keenan does. I don't know how accurate it is, mm. but I find it really funny that when he says something that he finds funny, he laughs, but it almost like fatigues him or wins him or makes him hyperventilate a little bit. And he needs to like stop and kind of like reset himself in the moment. That's a, a neat little characterization that Keenan can do that. I I just think that's impressive that that he was able to make that character a little more rich. You didn't need it. He was just basically the narrator, but I had more fun with it because he was having fun with it. So I I thought that everyone kind of like threw their best into this and took a, a pretty simple sketch and made it better than it would have been otherwise. Let's move on to our 10 to one sketch. We get couples game night. A bunch of couples have to sing musical cues for a trivia game and not everybody <laughs> approaches the game the same way. That's the setup. What did you guys think? Was this a fitting 10 to
0: one? I like the concept because, you know, if you do have a couple's night, you do play kind of lame games like this. And <laughs> uh, so it's kind of relatable for me anyway, but how serious they took it and how far they pushed it was funny. And, and you mentioned Steve uh, earlier in the podcast that, Chris could actually sing and he can, like he, he proved it. And, and in this sketch, like they were, <laughs> the singing was actually really, really good. And that's why I think it worked. And that's why I think it was funny. The second thing that I found in this sketch was uh, Kate McKinnon. I don't know if you guys caught it, but she was like, I don't know if she was her character, but I think she was like on the verge of breaking. Hmm. I thought she was like smiling pretty hard to the point where she, it looked like she was breaking a little bit because of how committed they were. And lastly, the, the blood, in, in his hand I literally <laughs> thought he cut his hand on the glass so when I when I saw that I was like oh my like something went wrong like this is live television like oh my god he cut his hand so obviously it was, was part of the gag but it <laughs> threw me off and I don't know it was good
1: for what it was I want to know more about that technology they're using because they just used it on the Louis CK episode. Yeah. Right. Where he smashes some glass and he immediately has blood all over his hand. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Obviously they used the same technique as they did with the Louis CK episode. Right. But it's something new they've come up with apparently.
2: Yeah, I don't know exactly what it is either. Um but watch it closely like watch it kind of in slow-mo and just look to see if he puts his hand off screen or in his pocket or if there's some other sleight of hand at play because the the traditional way of doing that is you just have like a soaked rag in your pocket or something mm-hmm. yeah. and you just get your hand bloody right before you do it and because nothing's happened there's nobody's looking at your hand there's no attention drawn to it so mm-hmm. you know you've already got that goo on your hand before you put your hand through the, the fake glass right then it becomes obvious to everyone because they're looking at your hand at that point uh, it's probably something as low rent as that, but I didn't pay much attention to see exactly how they were going about it. But I doubt that they needed any big technological breakthrough because you, you you know, people have (laughs) theatrically, people have been able to do that kind of a thing just by holding their body in the right way that you don't necessarily see their hand at all times or whatever. So they can, they can gel it up. So who knows, who knows what that's all about? Uh, any other thoughts, Steve?
1: I was thinking, you know, what makes this sketch really work is that relatability I've actually met couples like this, that that they're so out of touch and in tune with each other that, you know, they just don't translate anymore to common people.
0: I think I'm slowly getting there with my wife. (laughs) Um. Yeah, this was fun.
2: Uh, and like you guys mentioned, there's a lot of truth there. Um, I I don't think Kate was breaking Matt. I think she was just giving like her most incredulous look because she seems to be the one person in the sketch that didn't embrace it by the end. Right. Everyone else seemed to like kind of get into it. At one point, Sashir's playing the keyboards for him. Right. It seems like she's the the one character in the sketch that isn't meant to be won over so that you as the audience has someone kind of, Uh, just pointing out how uh, awkward it feels to be in the scene. I think that was kind of her role. So I think she was being incredulous. I don't think she was losing her character there. That was my take on anyways, but who knows?
0: Most likely you're right. She's, she's hilarious. So
2: yeah, I, I just didn't get the impression that she was out of control, right? Like normally they try and hide it a little bit. If they're maybe on the verge of breaking, they'll put their hand over their mouth or something. It seemed like she was intentionally trying to give those, those like over the top. uh, I'm amused by how ridiculous these people are kind of looks to the camera. So yeah, it was fun. Let's talk moment of the night. What took it for you, Matt?
0: Bobby, when he's selling it with the, the dancing and the, uh, when he's going up against Chris and the, uh, RuPaul sketch, <laughs> I think that was the moment for me that I, I think I laughed the hardest. I just, okay. I, th- I thought he was fantastic.
1: Sure. How about you, Steve? The appearance of Rockapella led by <laughs> Chris Pine. You know, I'm biased because that was part of my childhood, but that blast from the past really, uh, quivered my loins (laughs) I'm going with that
2: I can get behind that because my moment of the night is when Sashir first shows up as the chief I had to really squint for a second because it was so exactly the way my memories were of her at the desk I wasn't sure if they were like for a second I thought is this stock footage Hmm. how am I seeing this right now like it was a little it it just really kind of like threw me because it was so spot on. And then her performance of that character, she had the, the voice, she had the look, she had everything, even just the way she kind of like had her arms on the desk. I had a very kind of like forceful, assertive quality that it just, it just was, it was perfect. It was exactly, it, it lined up so closely with my memories that it, it, it made me like, take a step back. And that's, that, that's a neat feeling. So <laughs> I'm going to give that my moment of the night. Uh, and I totally respect Rockapella would have been a, a close second for me too. <laughs> do it Rockapella. <laughs> yeah. they used to let the kids do the shout out, right? Like whoever won yeah. the game or whatever got to say, do it Rockapella. They should have thrown that in, but whatever. <laughs> uh, small, small quibble best overall sketch,
0: Matt. The house in Seattle. I just like that one the best that I found it Like, I want to see more of it. Like, I just like the whole concept and yeah, that was my favorite one for sure.
2: Okay. How about you, Steve?
1: Swat Recon. You know, it wasn't anything groundbreaking, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to downright entertainment, I was having the most fun with this sketch all night. So I got to give it to that for what it, for what it, uh, offered. I loved it.
2: I'm going with auto shop. I thought that it was a very relatable and true scenario of being a little guarded to really be honest about the things that you're into and then slowly opening up as you realize that everyone around you is embracing it as well. And letting that, that like machismo like guy persona, letting that come down to the point where now people are actually like lip sync battling and like just getting full on drag persona. It was such a, a nice arc that that sketch took that it, it built and and kind of like flowered and opened up and then, you know, it, it culminates with this really fantastic dance that allowed Bobby Moynihan to do some, some of the best work of the show, in my opinion. So there was a lot to like in that sketch. So that's, uh, that's going to take it for me. MVP, Matt.
0: By far, this person made me laugh for the whole show. Like I just couldn't get out of my <laughs> head and it's not even a comedian. It's, uh, it's the, the guy in the background, the LCD, uh, sound <laughs> system, uh, wearing the hat dancing. <laughs> I could, it's still in my head now. I think it's still funny as hell. And I think people are going to be making memes of it. And I think that was, the, that was one of the funniest things all night. That guy wins, hands down. All right. I'll allow it.
2: <laughs> all right, Steve. What took it for you, MVP?
0: MVP is uh,
1: Bobby Moynihan for me. Sure. You know, I was enjoying everything that he was part of. And that's why I got to give it to him. Because every time Bobby came up, it was it was a shining moment Mm -hmm. of whatever was going on at the time. So I do really have to give it to him.
2: Yep. Yep. I agree. I'm giving it to Bobby too. Not just because we're all, you know, thinking of his impending exit and that makes us extra, you know, affectionate towards him. He had a lot of screen time tonight. Like this was a a Bobby heavy show and the best moments. I, I think back to the auto shop again, like that, the physicality and, and just how, sharp his performance was, that was really stunning work. And, uh, I think that that was what took it for me on a scale of classic, great, typical week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode, Matt?
0: Uh, it's a typical, it was nostalgic. I like that. Wasn't bad and it wasn't amazing. Mm-hmm. So mid, mid grade for me. Fair enough. Steve.
1: I'm going to give this one a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always enjoy SNL for its highs and its lows. And, you know, I'll watch an episode that I consider weak and have a good time with it.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But in the back of my head, I know objectively that it's not as good as the show can be. Sure. This is one of those moments.
2: Yep. I'm going with typical, but marginally. So like, I can totally understand why you would veer on the weak side of the scale. I thought it was typical not because it was even end to end, but because there was enough fun redeeming moments to offset like some of the weaker pre-tapes tonight. So I, I thought, you know, in the aggregate, it-, it sits pretty close to the middle of the, the spectrum and I'm okay with that. This isn't a-, a big tentpole episode. They're just coming back from a hiatus. So they're going to ramp back up and warm back up and really start to build momentum. And, even though this episode wasn't stunning, it doesn't make me worry in any way that they're not going to be able to have a lot of fun with the the last two. So as we come into the, the final run here, I'm uh, I'm still enthusiastic and still looking forward to how they're going to round out the season. You guys have any uh, amazing thoughts or insights before we wrap this up?
1: No, not any amazing ones,
2: <laughs> anything mediocre that you want to throw out just to kill some time. <laughs> <laughs> not even. Okay. Well, that's a cast. Thanks to our very special guest, Matthew Hawkins. You can connect with Matt on Twitter at The Mimic Hawkins. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Melissa McCarthy and musical guest Haim. This has been episode number 21 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.
1: Thank you, Lord. Everybody, thank you to LCD Sound System. Thank you to-
0: senior agent, Greg Lee. Hey! Hey, Hey, gumshoes! Hope you're excited. Today's winner gets a trip for you and your mom to Sacramento. Now, are you guys ready to help us find Kellyanne Conway? Well, we don't want to find her. (laughs) Okay! I guess that's our show! (laughs) Seven weeks in a row and no one wants to find that woman.
2: Where in the world
0: is Kelly and Conway?